They made me sergeant at arms today, so. <laughs> Good. Father, thank you so much again for this privilege to, uh, to meet with the brethren around your word and in your presence. And we just ask, Lord, that you would uh, be with Dave today as he teaches us. Open our hearts to receive from you and your word. Let us all be changed because we have met with you. We ask that for this session and for the service to follow in Jesus. Amen. 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 So, where did the... Uh, how about we read Psalm 110? I know we've read it a lot. Uh, where we're at in Hebrews is we're looking at uh, the introduction of, of Christ as high priest. And uh, that's in addition to Christ as, as Lord, Son of God, Son of Man, he's also presented as High Priest in Psalm 110. So would somebody like to read Psalm 110? Seven verses. Anyone? Bueller? Go for it. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on, the, on your day of battle, array of holy majesty. From the womb of the dawn, you will receive the dew of your youth. The Lord is sworn, it will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush the kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, keeping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook beside the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Amen. <coughs> so, seriously, where did we leave off last week? <laughs> <laughs> I was there. I think I think we left off and finished chapter four. Okay, and uh, actually, from uh, chapter four, verse fourteen, through chapter five, verse ten, is you can think of it as one uh, one unit. And that it's the introduction of the high priest, which we're going to spend a lot of time talking about for the next several chapters, with an excursus into a, a warning passage. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and read that whole thing. We'll pick up where we left off last week, and hopefully we'll get through uh, the uh, qualifications of the high priest and, and how Christ is that for us. It says in chapter 4, verse 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help of need. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself also is beset with weakness. And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins. As for the people, so also for himself. And no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest, but he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Just as he also in another passage says, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying, 
and tears to the one able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered, and having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. What kind of things pop out at you as I read through that? The order of Melchizedek. Order of Melchizedek. Who is this dude, Melchizedek? That's, that's one question. Pardon? The king of Salem. The king of Salem. The king of Salem, yes. I know we just spent time getting this set up. I'm going to go ahead and draw some pictures. We'll, we'll use it again. Okay. So, no kids in that. What other things pop out of acceptable. 
Can man ever be acceptable here? Can man ever be acceptable when he exists in the outer darkness? God. No. So I, I, I don't see anybody saying yes. That's a good thing. <laughs> man cannot be acceptable to God. Right? So something needs to happen in order to make him acceptable. He needs to somehow have a gate to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. So you read about that in Colossians chapter 1 speaking of Christ it says in Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 says, for he rescued us, he being Christ, rescued us from the domain of darkness, or the kingdom of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. So a really important concept there is that yeah, these chairs would be really So, the role of the high priest is to somehow be an intermediary between man and God in order to help man get through this gateway and back into the kingdom of God. And we understand that the only one that, that we read about in Colossians that has the ability to transfer citizenship is Christ. But we also understand that the way that that occurs is by somehow satisfying the just requirement of God. So the role of the high priest as this intermediary is to present before God uh, satisfaction in a way uh, that meets the requirements to allow man to change his citizenship. And that the result of presenting that would be forgiveness of sins, is what it says in Colossians. Right? And, um, let's go back to that verse. Uh, redemption and forgiveness of sins. And redemption means that uh, you're actually restored in that sense that you have eternal life. So, the role of the high priest is essential. Or the priest is essential in God's economy. You have the king, you have the prophet, you also have to have the priest. And we, what, what we need to know is what are the qualifications of this priest because if it's possible that a man could be priest, that a man could figure out how to get us back into the kingdom of God and to present satisfaction to God, um, then there would be no need for the Son of God to come and die on the cross. But we know that that wasn't possible, right? It wasn't possible for a man, apart from the God-man, to fulfill that role. So... Keep that picture in mind in the different roles that are necessary for our forgiveness and redemption and uh, how Christ is being presented as fulfilling that. That's what Hebrews is about. Yes, sir? You were asking what pops out of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, just one thought for one thing that might fit into this discussion. Yep. So, in uh, chapter 5, verse 2, it says, You can deal gently with the Yep. That includes me. <laughs> it does include us, but it also it also makes so, an implication. So the qualification of the priest was actually I didn't I thought they were kind of high and mighty. Right. But really they're um, well really they intercede. And not just for the people who are righteous. Right. But it, it appears to say even for the people who are misguided. So, in order for one to fully represent you to God, they really got to understand what your issues are. Right? 
So our, our uh, form of government, we elect representatives to go and represent us uh, in the, the seat of government, right? And the idea is, is that they're supposed to be one of us. They're not supposed to be apart from us. They're not supposed to have uh, no connection to us, but rather they're to, to understand what our concerns are, us being the constituents, and, and then present that. So in a sense, we see this model all over the place. We see it in social structures of various kinds. Um, we see it in nature as it expresses itself. So there's, there needs to be a likeness here uh, to understand what the issues are, the weaknesses, in order to present an accurate picture to God. And it's not a petition on God's mercy alone, like, got a bunch of ignorant folk down here, just ignore it. That's not what's happening. Rather, there's uh, a statement about our ignorance and how um, God's just requirement can still be met in spite of our ignorance. Well, and it was the deal gently that's uh, interesting. Yes. So, um, and we do this with our children, right? So our children are born and, and they know very little except for uh, how to sin, uh, which is just amazing how that works. Uh, but, but it is there. It's like, where did that come from? Um, but, so we gently deal with them to help them grow up. Right? Because we were there. We know what that was like. Um, hopefully we learned something positive from that and that's what we help our children with. Um, in this case, we have, says, therefore, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. What does that mean to pass through the heavens? Anybody want to venture a guess? To go there living and come back there? Uh, re repeat? To be of the flesh and go to heaven and come back and still be of the flesh, I guess? Yeah, so... We understand that our high priest was with God in heaven. He passed through the kingdom and now is in the presence of God once more. So in that sense, um, our high priest is not, he's limitless. He's not bounded. Um, we can't enter into God's presence as we are. But our high priest could because he's without limitation. He's not bounded by the things that entangle us. So when it says we have um, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. What is our confession? That we can't make it. That we can't make it, but, but he can. Right? That we have one who... Uh, what, is the, what is the confession of our mouth? What do we confess? When we go to be baptized, we make a confession to our community. What is our confession? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Oh, I can confess that. That doesn't necessarily help me. I may, I may still be out here. Pardon? I'm a sinner. And I'm a sinner, so I'm still out here. You're confessing that he has saved me. That he has saved me. That indeed I am a sinner, and that I find myself in outer darkness. That one interceded for me, that one being Jesus, the man who is Christ, the God man. And he interceded on my behalf, and he took that which was an offense and death to me upon himself. And in doing that, he made a gate or a door for me to enter into God's kingdom. And he offered that to me. That that is salvation. That is what was offered. And my confession is, is that I accepted that. I accepted God's offer of grace to intercede on my behalf. That that is sure that I am saved. Right? So we make our confession. And we do it in a lot of different ways. And you've heard us give the confession in several different forms. But that's essentially it. That we are sinners and lost. God loved us, interceded on our behalf, 
and as a result of my coming under his uh, offer of salvation, I am indeed saved. And that's a great thing. So let's hold that fast, because we have this high priest. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, and yet without sin. Does that not pop out on anybody? Yeah. Let me ask a question. Yeah. You, you say that he stayed within the circle, but he came into our world, and he was tempted by us. He, he was out in the darkness he came in. Yes. So, who can enter into the outer darkness in a way and save man? Okay. Good question. This is part of the qualification for one who can actually save us. That it can't just be someone from here. It has to be someone from here. And that the point of it is that we would have our citizenship transferred from here to here. That our death up here would be transformed into life in here. So only one can do that. And that's why I draw this picture. God is outside, but he is not in any way contaminated by the darkness. The darkness does not overcome the light. And so when we read that um, he has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin, this is really an important, important point. Because in here, what do we know about some of the characteristics of in the kingdom? There's no sin. That's the big one. Right? It is not possible for sin to be a part of this, of this kingdom. Um, what sin is, is it's the contamination that occurs in outer darkness. It's the corruption of the heart. We can't have that in here, because what we know is that sin is like cancer. Cancer is systemic. It, it corrupts from the inside out. <clears throat> yeah? So I agree with what you're saying, but I don't... <clears throat> okay. How many of us are Christians? made that claim. I would say yes. Yeah. How many of us still sin? I would say yes. Yes. So how can that be? How can this be? How can you be in two places at once? That's what you're asking. Am I in the kingdom or not? I guess. Yeah. Is it a difference of position versus practice? Very, very, very good. A difference between position and practice. Interesting. Our position okay. in Christ is and so what you would expect to occur is an alignment between position and practice. Right? And that if a person really is in a position as a citizen of this kingdom, you would expect that, that they would behave as such. But what we observe is, is that no, they don't. Because our practice is not yet fully transformed by the renewing of our mind. But the heart is... Romans 7 covers that whole business of the tension between what I want to be yes. and what I really am. Yep. But the way it ends is, is the best. It's yes. thanks to God who gives us the victory. Yes. So for those of you that are... How many of your sins were adventure when Jesus died on the cross? Right. Everything one. Yep. He paid for them all, including the ones he won't do so next week. Right. And that's and we actually see that expressed in, in Hebrews in this passage in Hebrews. And what he's referring to, if you're not familiar, Romans chapter seven, I call that the doo-doo chapter. <laughs> I don't do what I want to do, and I do what I don't want to do, and here I am standing in a pile of doo, what do I do? <laughs> referring to is the deliverance at the end of the duty chapter. What do I do? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he expands upon the grace of God. 
In fact, in, in chapter 8, this is one of those uh, pivotal, you know, we, we all have life verses and things that frame us from the Bible. And I get to uh, the end of his, Paul's, when he's making his declaration about the depth of the grace of God. And we read that, uh, he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? And then he goes on to, to sing one of the greatest songs that's been sung. And what I realize when I read that passage is that everything about me that is true, God knows. That means he knows those secret things which I don't reveal to the world. He knows the depth of depravity in my heart. And even though he knows all of those things, here's what I wrote in my margin. This is in uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 32. I write that at the lowest point in my life, all the things that were true about me, God knew. He loves us more than we can know. He came, and in that place, he died for us. That's what the high priest does. Yes, sir. So, um, forgive me for a second, because I'm kind of an analyst. <laughs> yeah. okay, so, when you revise what you just put up, no sin in the kingdom to be no sin that isn't covered by grace? I would say that no you sin exists in the kingdom. the high priest out of the kingdom. <laughs> I would say that no sin, no sin. Well, so the human high priest, that's why I originally threw it out here. The human high priest would be here. So what is required of the human high priest so that he could present your offering before God? He has to move offering. He has to move offering first. So what it says here is it says, um, in the first part of uh, chapter 5, it says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men. So the appointment is. In things pertaining to God, in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided, since he himself is also beset with weakness. And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins, as for the people, so also for himself. So the high priest and the cultic practice of Judaism would go in once a year on the Day of Atonement. Atonement is a word that means covering. And um, we have a lot of understanding of atonement. One is that the atonement, um, in covering sin, it appeases the just requirement of God. It appeases his wrath about sin. That would be called propitiation. So anytime you read that word propitiation and you see it in the King James, you probably don't see it in the New Living Translation. But for example, in 1 John chapter 1, or chapter 2, I'll read the first two verses of chapter 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Talking about the high priest, right? And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only ours, but also for those of the whole world. That idea is that on the Day of Atonement, the high priest comes in and he presents a sacrifice that is in some way sufficient for God to be satisfied, that his just requirement is satisfied, and that that would allow man entry into the kingdom of God. But what do we know about the cultic practice of the Jews? The high priest could not even satisfy his covering for his own sins. So a practice was set up where God said that um, as a result of sin, um, death ensues. So satisfaction to God for that sin is death is being out here, being expelled from the kingdom. That is satisfaction for God. But what we what we need is someone to satisfy God in our place. Such that we don't die, but rather gain entrance to the kingdom and have eternal life. So the high priest would go in once a year on Yom Kippur, and they tie a rope around his leg, and 
he would first offer a blood sacrifice for himself. And assuming that he didn't die in the process, and that's why they put the rope around his leg, such that if his offering for sin, for his own sin, was unacceptable, they could pull him out. Because when you come into the presence of God, that's serious business. And so he would go into the Holy of Holies, he would offer the blood sacrifice first for himself on the, the, um, uh, the, the altar of, of mercy there, the horns of the... Um, okay, so they had the... With, within that was um, the Ark of the Covenant, and on the top of the Covenant, the covering had four horns on the edge, and that was called the mercy seat. And above that were the cherubim, and the glory of God would dwell in the midst. Right? That's, that's what the Ark of the Covenant is all about. That's why Indiana Jones wanted to, to get this. Right? It's all powerful. And so um, what they would do is they would offer the blood. They would actually sprinkle it on the corner of the, the horns of the altar. And that that represented sprinkling the sacrifice at the very base of the throne of God. And that if that is acceptable, in other words, it satisfies a just requirement, um, then he could then all offer a similar sacrifice for the people. But he had to offer a sacrifice for himself first. It was never sufficient. But God in his mercy didn't kill very many high priests. So even though they put the rope on their leg, not many of them got pulled out. I mean, there were a few that went in with, with no regard for who God is thinking, well, this is just monkey business, you know, we'll, we'll do the, the voodoo as they do, and we'll be fine. And they died. But for the most part, these people were sincere, and they wanted uh, to appease the righteous requirement of God. I, I saw two hands go up. I'll go first. Okay. So, sorry. <laughs> so, it's only through Jesus Christ's blood that I'm able to get into that kingdom. That's right. Somebody had to, in this case, in order to make uh, an offering or an atonement to God for our sin, that one had to be without sin. That doesn't mean I'm perfect, no. but I'm covered. Right. And so this is where we go to position and practice. Yeah. So in that position, you have been justified. Right? You have been you are now viewed uh, in the eyes of God as um, having the payment for your sin fully satisfied. So when you, so what happens is, yeah, and if you read through Revelation, you get to chapter 20, and the heaven and the earth has passed away, right? So the first creation is gone. And we stand in the presence of God, it says the books are opened. And people are judged out of the books. And a book is opened which is the book of life. And those whose name is not found written in the book of life are cast into the outer darkness, right? Where Satan and his angels are. And they're bewailing and gnashing of teeth is what Jesus said. That's not a good place to be for eternity. But that what happens is, is the books are opened, and some people look at that as the books of all of the deeds of your life because it talks about being judged by your deeds, Right? Well, God knows not only our deeds, but the intentions of our hearts, so that makes it really scary. Right? If, this, if these books are like recorded in there with every action and every thought and every intent of my heart, man, I'm in trouble. And even if it isn't, I'm still in trouble because I'm in the presence of God. I would tend to believe that the books that are open are the books of the revelation of God, and we're judged against the revelation that we've been given. And that God reveals himself to every man. It says that in Romans. So we are judged based upon the revelation that God has given us as to whether we choose him or not. And if we don't choose him, our name is never written in the other book. And then our name would not be in the book of life. right? And in that state, Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. The world was already condemned. You're already there. It doesn't, you don't have to go very far to get to hell. But you need a miracle to go to heaven. You need one to intercede for you. So, 
what I understand is that um, when you stand in the presence of God, all of those things are made known, and God would say guilty. But your advocate steps forward and says, hold it, I paid for that. And God looks at the sin, and he looks at the payment, and he says, indeed, it was paid. Enter, enter my rest. Right? So, it's not, uh, he, God is able to justly satisfy the requirement that no sin be in his kingdom because of what Christ did. Not because of our merit. And in fact, all of our unmerit is shown. And all of Christ's merit is shown. And that's why in that moment, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is indeed Lord. That's, that's the revelation that we read in the Bible. Right? In Daniel and Revelation and other places. So that's what this is about. This is about the high priest. And how did this occur? How did atonement take place? How could, how could we really be saved? Because the high priest would go in year after year. Well, if we were really saved, how come he has to go in every year? What good is that? What happens if I die mid-year? Right? All my sins up to January 1st, or in this case, September 23rd, are covered? Uh, what, what's the deal? Right? So we need one who can um, offer a sacrifice effective for all sin for all time. And it was not possible from among men for that to occur. However, the role of doing that is the role of the high priest in God's economy. So that's what the author of Hebrews wants us to explore. He wants us to explore who this high priest is. That he is a guy from an order of Melchizedek. The king of righteousness. Who, we don't know a lot about Melchizedek. He, uh, does anybody know anything about Melchizedek? No. My old man says that um, some scholars believe that he was Jesus uh, before he was born in the flesh. So that would be a, a theophany where people see God um, outside of normal experience. So he's, he's a represent. So the angels that appeared to Abraham when he was headed on, on his way down to petition for Lot. Um, those would be theophanies, God. So you're saying Melchizedek is is God appearing? Could be. Could he be. has no genealogy. Yeah. He has no genealogy. That's an interesting thing, and it gets pointed out. Is that this is a guy who doesn't have any genealogy? What does that mean? Well, we know that everybody here has a genealogy. So if you're if you're a high priest from men. You would be a descendant of Aaron, and you would have to be able to trace your genealogy back to Aaron, who was appointed by God as high priest. There's some other language in here that's important. Appointment, uh, one without genealogy, that is a king of righteousness, Melchizedek. And Abraham, to recognize the priestly role of Melchizedek, actually paid tithes to Melchizedek. You read that story back in Genesis. So this is so he's before the Jewish priesthood. He's before so the Jewish the priesthood. That yep. we see of that. Yep. Is he before Abraham? Was he already? So he was already around when Abraham was. Uh, yep. When, so he was. If if we look at it as uh, as a human, uh, which we have no information on, he was a contemporary of Abraham. So he was in that period of time. Now whether he was an angel or a, a theophany. It's, we're not given that information. What we are given is that he is a type. <coughs> he is a type of one who intercedes between God and man. And he intercedes in such a way that Abraham recognizes that and says, you have the ability to bring my offering to God. And he presents an offering to Melchizedek uh, because of what God has done for him. Right? Because he's experienced the grace of God. He makes this uh, not uh, an offering for to appease God, but a thank offering. Thank, thank Isn't he also a king? 
king and a priest, that's all it tells us about. Well, and that's, and that's the interesting thing, is that his name, Melech, means king. That is the word for king. Remember when we were going through uh, Samuel, and I pointed out there's two words that are used, king, Melech, and ruler. And that uh, Saul was ruler, David was king. Kings, in this sense, are appointed by God. Right? And the human pattern of kingship was is that the king had divine right, that he spoke for God to the people. So whether he was a good king or a bad king and abused that, um, history tells. But nonetheless, we understood it from a human perspective that to be king is a divine role that is appointed by God. So here we have one who is both king of righteousness and also a priest that is able to intercede between man and God. Interesting. So, yes? I was just curious. Has there ever been an archaeological site where Salem was? Where was Salem? Uh, Salem at that time was uh, probably Jerusalem. And then we get the name of Jerusalem. David took the city that was uh, just on that same ridge uh, from the Jebusites. And so... Uh, that's called the city of David. But Jerusalem, uh, historically, was located on that, that site. So, King of Salem means that probably in Abraham's time, when Abraham was tromping through the woods there, there was no woods. Well, there actually wasn't one site. A bunch of olive trees. Um, he, that would have been where Salem was. You know, all through the Bible, it's David, son of Jesse. You know, your identity was who you're the son or daughter of. Right. And this guy isn't the son of nobody. That's right. He and is it's just, it's so out of character of how people are identified. <laughs> I don't know if I'm spelling it right. For some reason today I got the spelling bug going on. Um, so yeah, he has no genealogy. He has no mother or father. Um, he and yet he has authority. So his authority is not from his human lineage. His authority is from his divine lineage. So when Christ says, uh, when they tear off the roof of the house and they drop the, the paralyzed man down on the mat in front of Christ, and Jesus says, "Son, your sins are forgiven." <coughs> what is he saying? Your sins are forgiven. He's saying a really, really, really important thing. I'm God. That's right. Because only God could forgive sin. And we understand that that one who interceded on our behalf and made this possible actually forgives sins. And, and he goes on to say, so just so that you'll know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he says to the man, get up and walk. And the man gets up and walks. And then he asks the question, which is it easier to do? To forgive sin or to have a man walk? You can say, if you look at the end of uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, it goes back to that whole thing of position. Because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Yes. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We're all, we're all familiar with the expression of looking through rose-colored glasses, and the whole world looks rosy when you do that. Right. When God looks at us, He's looking at us through Jesus' colored glasses. Right. We're in Jesus, and so because Christ is perfect, God sees us as the same. Yep. It's a matter of position. It is. It's sadly it's out of practice, but someday. Right. And what the author of Hebrews is... is uh, showing us is the length that God goes to in order to save us. And if we are positionally there, we have a responsibility to practice that which is the, the practice of the kingdom of God. And we should take, take careful note if we find ourselves not doing that willfully. So we've got to understand, this is an issue of the will. It's an issue of the heart. It's not an issue of ignorance. Um, and the verse that 
um, Mr. Palm was just referring to is Second uh, Corinthians chapter five, verse twenty-one. He who made him knew no sin, or he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Speaking of that positional transference, there. and that's that's what's being alluded to here is that. Um, the reason we can draw, hold fast in our confession and draw near the, the throne of God, which is what it says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. <clears throat> and then he goes on to show that this isn't one who is of human heritage, but rather one who is of the divine heritage, who is both king and high priest. Got time to take this a little bit further. Um, when we look at, uh, and then he goes on to say, for every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men and things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided, since he himself also is beset with weakness. So, and and that, as we read on here, and because of it he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins, as for the people, so also for himself. No one takes honor to himself. So also Christ did not glorify himself, so as to become a high priest, but said, to, uh, but he said to him, God said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Just as he also says in another passage, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In other words, God made the appointment of Christ as high priest. One of the qualifications of high priest is that they would be um, appointed, they would be fully human, and that they would offer gifts and that they would be compassionate towards sinners. Those are the four qualifications of a high priest. So we see that he is appointed, in the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to one uh, to the one able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his piety. Stop on that for a second. So we understand that um, the high priest is fully human, so that means he's fully tempted in every way. So if Christ became man, even though he was rightfully of this kingdom, he came into the outer darkness and was not overcome by it because he is not from there, he's from here. So he could be with man and experience everything that a man experiences, I'll get to you here in a second, experience everything that a man experiences and yet be without sin. Let me take you to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. And if you know the, the progression of Luke, chapter 22 is uh, the Last Supper and uh, the walk through Jerusalem uh, to the Garden of Gethsemane after, the, after the, the dinner. And you get to verse 39, and it talks specifically about the time that they are in Gethsemane. Now, Gethsemane, I mentioned there is a forest there. There was at that time. Uh, the Mount of Olives had uh, olive groves on it, uh, ancient trees, uh, so such that the whole thing was covered. It was later all cut down, and they used it for fuel to burn Jerusalem. But mm. So today, there's nothing there but graves. Mm. But uh, at this time, there was uh, olive groves there. It says, he came out came out of the Kibben Valley, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples also followed him. When he arrived at the place, they said to him, Pray, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel of heaven appeared to him, strengthening him, and being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood, falling down upon the ground. When he arose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow, and said to them, Why are you sleeping? 
Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So Jesus, at that moment, we know that he was tempted earlier in his life and probably tempted throughout his life. Um, at this moment was the greatest temptation. It was a temptation um, that he would not have to fulfill that which God had asked him to do. Now, how many of us are in this position every day? God has asked us to do things which are genuinely hard. But they're right. They bring life. That's what Jesus was struggling with. The very struggle that we struggle with every day that is the uh, opportunity to choose our own will over God's. Jesus was tempted in every way, just like men are tempted. And yet he didn't give in to that, even though he was sweating drops of blood, as it were. Figurative picture, but nonetheless, he was in great agony and distress because of the temptation that was uh, before him. And yet he says, not my will, but yours be done. That's the high priest. Daniel? I was going to ask if the high priest it had to be fully human and therefore fully tempted. Does that mean that Melchizedek would have had to have been fully human as well with no lineage? Yeah, so we understand Melchizedek as a type and we know him as a type uh, which is a, a foil in literature. Um, so if, you, if you're you know, using all of your analysis tools for literature, you would recognize this one as a foil in the story, so he's not a protagonist or an antagonist. In this case, the protagonist, the one that undergoes change, is Abraham, and the antagonist were the kings that came against him that caused the change in Abraham. So a foil is one who comes along to uh, reflect uh, one aspect of character of one of the, the protagonists or the antagonist characters. And so in this case, Melchizedek was uh, a foil. However, because literature-wise we see a foil there for no, with no, uh, no other character uh, background information, we can understand him as a type. So he's a type of one who would come that would be uh, a, a major character in the story and that that would be the high priest. So that's, that's probably more than you wanted to know, but that's where we get that from. Yes? I saw two hands. Finch. So when you say type, you're not implying that there was never a real person called Melchizedek? No, I'm not implying that at all. In fact, there was a real person named Melchizedek, fully human. We just don't know anything about him because <clears throat> it wasn't important and probably would have distracted from uh, our understanding of what the high, understanding a high priest of divine lineage was about. And that there wasn't one until Christ that was of divine lineage. Right? There was no one born among men that had the Holy Spirit for a father, that had God for a father. So I'm thinking of takeaways and how we should then live. So, check me on this. So now, Christ is our high priest. Okay, yep. Christian, or we're not Jews, we don't do sacrifice. Right. So Christ is our high priest. He paid our price. Yep. But from this text, in uh, verse 16, the, this, the priest, or maybe what we should be doing, is drawing near to the throne of grace. And then in verse uh, 7 or 5, says, who is heard because of his piety. Yes. So are we supposed to, oh, well, first of all, the throne of grace is in God's kingdom, or there is a God, I'm not sure, in your, in your thing. And then, if, if we're to draw near, and because we can be accepted now through Christ, this implies that if you do it with piety, it helps. So what is that? So, um, what I would say is that there's a throne here, and Christ is the king on the throne. I don't know if you can see that or not. Let's draw an H, with the, which is a picture of a chair. Right? Christ is on the throne. So he 
he is the king of the kingdom. So, um, what 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 is piety? Let me ask you that. Well, we can draw near, right? That's the first thing. Well, first thing is we are now able to draw near to the throne. The throne is in God's kingdom, right? So God is the place of rule. So when you read in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5, you go into the court of God's kingdom. And in the court, God is sitting in the throne in the midst. And it's this incredible picture of the, the worship uh, leaders and um, God and the Lamb being presented, the Son of Man being presented, the authority and the kingdom, dominion and rule. And what that is is it's it's in God's kingdom. But God created his kingdom. It's another thing we have to remember. The heavens were created by God, just as the earth. Um, we understand that there is an eternal nature to this, whereas there is a temporal nature to the earth. But nonetheless, that's where God rules from. And we now have the, as, as a part of God's kingdom, positionally, have the ability to go directly to the king and offer our concerns rather than having a high priest present that for us. Because it just so happens the high priest is the king. And because the high priest is the king, he knows all about us. He knows everything about us. He knows what it's like to sweat blood. That's who I want sitting there to intervene for me. Um, and that's what it says. This is, this is who we have. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. That's that idea of piety. So here's your homework assignment for the weekend. Look up the word piety and understand it. It isn't about poverty. It isn't about false humility. It's about a condition of the heart that um, seeks the will. In this case, the will of the Father, the will of God. And that that was the condition for a high priest. That he would have that heart. Knowing the will of God, knowing the state of man, to bring the two together. It's probably a good place to start. Although he was a son, he learned or a good place to stop. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. We could talk more about perfect, we could talk more about all of those things, but uh, I think you know where I'm going with that. What we have next is uh, one of the great challenge passages in Hebrews. It's like, if this is true, we have this revelation about who the Son of God is, and the Son of Man is. This revelation is not to be neglected. Right? And that we're not to disobey it. How now shall we live with the full knowledge of who God is? How now shall we live? So that's what we're getting into next. Uh, let's go ahead and close here in prayer. Lord, uh, thank you for, for that you are our priest that um, you are our king, that you came to uh, provide for us and to protect us and to serve us and to bring us together as high priest with you in your kingdom, that you made a way that no one else could make uh, because of who you are, that what our salvation is is it's something so precious that there is nothing that we could ever do to earn it bring it about on our own, but it's totally your free gift that you've done for us because of your love for us. And Lord, I'm just so, so awesome and so grateful. And Lord, I would ask that those that are in this room would share in that gratitude daily as we reach out to you and come under your cover. Lord, um, I ask that you would continue to provide for us and protect us as we go out from here and challenge us in the things which we um, we struggle with in temptation every day and every moment. And help us to choose you always. Lord, help our practice to conform to that which your kingdom uh, requires. 
and in our imperfection, Lord, thank you for your covering of our sin and for changing us. Lord, we thank you for all of this. We lift to you, Bob, this morning as he brings a message out of Galatians to us. Lord, um, we ask for opportunity to share our faith with others in both how we live and what we say. Lord, we thank you for all of this and just ask you for your uh, gentle and kind sustenance to uphold us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. 